1: Whether you realize it or not, there are probably children with special needs in your church and Sunday school programs. Shaping the hearts of all children, both typical and those who have disabilities or learning differences, is an incredible responsibility. While many have a desire to welcome each and every child into the classroom, not all are prepared and confident to handle. Hurdles that come with special needs ministry.
2: Today, we're excited to be joined by the Associate Pastor of Children's Ministry at Ogletown Baptist Church in Delaware. He has a huge heart for kids and parents dealing with special needs, but also many years of ministry experience under his belt, Pastor Evan Collier. Pastor Collier, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Developing a classroom and ministry where every kid can hear the good news of Jesus Christ and grow. Is a big subject to tackle. We're eager to jump right in and hear your story. Your church launched a ministry dedicated to serving children with behavioral diagnosis. What would you tell us about that ministry and what led you personally to serve in this area?
3: That's a great question, Paul and Tabitha. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, so I kind of want to just lead off with the fact that. Um, we, we are actively developing this. And so we are extremely modest, uh, in size and scope. So right now we have, um, we have three to five children that we're serving in our grade school and, uh, and then a couple of preschoolers. And, uh, recently we've kind of run into a challenge that some of the kids that were in our ministry, um, are actually now teenagers. And, uh, my, my son Titus is one of, one of those teens. So, uh, we're finding that we have, uh, teens with behavioral diagnoses kind of mixed in with our grade schoolers and we're running into some challenges. So we're actually in the process of trying to find, you know, how to serve teenagers better in this. So, uh, so don't think of a ministry of, you know, 40 kids, we're talking a handful of kids, but the ministry itself, uh, kind of revolves around, uh, a place, which we would have a sensory room and, uh, and then AIDS, So we have people trained and ready to uh, receive kids as, as they come in. So, um, so there's kind of like the people in the place. That's, that's what the ministry is. And the goal of course, is to be able to uh, serve uh, whoever walks through those doors. And, um, and so for the, the teenagers, we have a, a challenge in that we have two different buildings. And so in the second building, we don't actually have access to a sensory room, and so currently, right now, we are working on trying to get funding to uh, to convert a room into a place that's more of a calm room. They don't they don't need so much the activity space, but a little bit more of a calming and sensory place. Um, so you had mentioned my my son Titus. Uh, so my son Titus is uh, 15 years old, and uh, when we were in Boston, as we were for uh, eight and a half years. Uh, he was diagnosed uh at the age of 2 at Boston Children's Hospital with uh at the time PDD NOS uh which was um now since that time has been kind of you know just put on the spectrum of you know ASD and uh so he was diagnosed and immediately we you know received um a good good bit of care um early intervention and speech therapy and and so forth and uh yeah so Titus right now is um uh, the biggest challenges we face with, with Titus is um, directing his activities and diverting him from activities that, that drive him over the edge. So he has just very low tolerance. Uh, so he'll find a, you know, uh, he does great with his active activities, like he loves to swing. So um, we worked on getting a, a good swing for him and he can even, he can ride a bike. So he's, he's got some good motor skills. Uh, but besides that, Pretty much anything he locks onto, he's going to get um, super frustrated with. So he's, you know, he likes his iPad or he likes video games, but he, he doesn't do well with things that are competitive at all. So mm-hmm. uh, the challenges for our family really is uh, scheduling. So we have a 14-year-old who's, uh, you know, we almost have the built-in babysitter. Um, and so we'll often say, well, you know, the kids can stay with, you know, our second, our 14-year-old. Oh, but what are we going to do with Titus? You know, we're just not comfortable so, so family scheduling is, is a challenge just because you don't know when he's going to have a really, really hard day. Um, but that's Titus. And so, uh, yeah, the Lord, way the Lord's used that is um, Titus's challenges, especially even at church, just in um, coping and getting through, is making us realize that there are other uh, teenagers uh, that the Lord has recently brought to us that we're going to have to learn to, to serve them as well. So that's kind of an active process right now.
1: In developing this ministry, what would you say has been the most difficult part of the journey?
3: We've, uh, we've had this uh, ministry for, I think, I believe three years now, and I would say that uh, the two factors that would be most difficult for us would be uh, volunteer attrition, which that's uh, common to any ministry, um, and, and some of that's healthy. Uh, We're a church that's in transition. So, a number of my first uh one to one aides were college students uh and they may have even been in the field in studying, but of course, college students graduate and and move on and uh so obviously, at the beginning you get you get a high level of interest and then you know a number of people and a interest meeting and then it sort of winnows down a little bit and then you know just for whatever reason they serve somewhere else or something, you begin to to lose volunteers and so then you start tapping you know people your, your best volunteers, you know, who are there week after week and start saying, Hey, can you do more? Can you do more? So attrition would be one. And, uh, then just, um, I would say even, and this one kind of surprised me, uh, inconsistent attendance of the families that we're serving. Mm, So it's kind of, um, and we know the challenges of, uh, living with a family with disabilities. So, um, often we will be ready for a family and then they won't show, And so then it seems like, you know, we we don't have need. And then all of a sudden they'll pop back up. And and so then you're kind of caught off guard because you have to make some um, some arrangements to make sure that every child has, you know, has somebody serving them and directing them. So volunteer attrition and I would say just kind of inconsistency with the families that we're serving would be two of the challenges.
1: Right. You mentioned the inconsistencies and I can kind of get that. It makes sense So many people with disabilities have trouble. You mentioned like uh, scheduling with your family and other disabilities to come with a lot of health issues. So it's kind of hour to hour where they're going to be that day. Um, But what about the volunteers? Can you talk about that a little bit more? What, What steps do you take to recruit people to help out? How do you help them develop the burden for it?
3: Our volunteers seem to fall in categories. Um, Either they are general education teachers that just have been placed in a situation where they have had to adapt in their own classrooms. So they're general ed teachers um, or they are kind of in the field. So they're they're not extremely scared of it. So there are a number of um, uh, speech therapists in our church uh, that don't necessarily work with special needs, but they're kind of in the, you know, in that field. Um, occupational therapists, um, you know, they're, they're not afraid to, to work with, you know, behavioral needs. Um, and so, and then you have uh, parents who's actually, uh, who've actually had children who have like grown and graduated and are now, you know, in assisted living or, or how, whatever situation they're in, uh, they have turned around and said, Hey, you know, we want to help uh, the parents through uh, maybe, and they offered help that, you know, they didn't have personally. So it seems like, uh, and and occasionally we'll get somebody who's just, just got a heart to serve, you know, and, uh, and they say, Hey, can you, can you train us? And, uh, so those, that's not as frequent, um, as I, as I would wish, but generally it's the people who have some familiarity with this, with this world that tend to step forward.
2: In your experience, what has been the greatest blessing for you in serving a people who are often overlooked?
3: Yeah. I mean, the Lord is, he he compensates in so many ways, doesn't he?
2: Yeah.
3: Uh so I would say probably greatest blessing would just be um awareness uh for uh both the kids uh and the adults in our in our church. So I, I'm really thankful that um, our senior pastor has has set the tone in this. In fact he had a he has an adult sister um who has disabilities and so he's he's got a tender heart uh toward this. Uh, but we have, uh, places for, you know, for wheelchairs. Uh, we have, um, we expect there to be some noise disturbances in our church, uh, services. Uh, people are just kind of aware of it, but the kids as well, uh, just as, as we've had, you know, children in our midst, uh, you know, sure they're kids. And sometimes when there's a, an outburst of some kind, they all stop and they stare or they freeze, uh, but less and less. Like you see that they take uh, they take this in stride, and um, I think just for the whole church, since the whole church is saying like, yes, we, we want to serve you know these families and and, and these folks in our midst. Um, like if uh, if my son Titus is having a difficult time, where uh, we actually do sit with him in one of the general services, and uh, there are times you know times that we've not made it through and afterwards we'll just have people just, just assure us, like we, we are praying. We love you. Mm -hmm. We love him. He's such a special guy, you know? So, so it's God's people, I think, realizing that, um, that we are incomplete, you know, without, uh, without these folks in our midst. So Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And so I think it's it's the ability. What this has done to bless us is that we've we've had the ability to even try to serve families that come to us and to say, "Hey, we don't have all the answers, but we want you here, and we're going to walk with you through this." Uh, versus, um, "I'm sorry, we just can't cope with this." <laughs> so, right, right. Uh, so, so, so just the ability to open your arms and say, "You know, hey, we're going to have some challenges, but but let's let's see what we can do," is is a blessing that we can have open arms like that.
1: Those are. Excellent points. It's interesting how when church leadership sets the pace like that, the congregation can quickly be comfortable as well.
2: Along those lines, what advice and encouragement would you offer up to churches who are prayerfully considering launching their own outreaches to families impacted by disability?
3: Yeah, you know, I've been kind of thinking on on this for a while, and it seems like uh, most most churches are going to fall in one of two categories. Either they're going to be active or reactive. Um, you know, active would be I'm looking down and saying, hey, this is a mission field. This is almost an unreached people group. Uh, we'll build this and they will come. And and that that's very noble. You know, that is. And I wish I could say, hey, that was totally me. Um, <laughs> however. Um, I think we were probably more on the reactive, uh, scale of things where, you know, we saw the need and, and I think most people probably fall in that category, you know, um, how it actually worked out for us was that, um, I went ahead and said to, um, a group of our volunteers, like Lord willing, in the next six months, we will have some structures in place to serve kids like my Titus. And, um, And it wasn't two weeks afterwards that we had, um, a visiting family, uh, with a child with even more intense needs than Titus. And, uh, then after that we had, uh, yet another family begin to showing up. So we all of a sudden had three children with, um, on the autism spectrum. And, uh, and so it kind of kicked into like, oh, we have to do something now. So it kind (laughs) of kicked it into that. And and I think, so we kind of started reactive or, or active and then, um, we had to respond quickly. And so my six months turned into like three weeks. Wow! Oh, wow. So, so that's just, so, so God's going to, you know, so you can kind of put it out there, um, uh, that, Hey, this is, this is on our heart and then just be, you know, willing, you know, and ready for it if the Lord uh, begins to send it your way. But I would say, um, I would say just like practically, uh, number one, you have, you have to find a champion. So somebody who's going to take ownership of this because somebody has to, um, answer the questions. Um, they have to, uh, say, you know, you know, here's the space that we're going to try to use. Here are the people, you know, here's the first meeting. Here's the, so finding a champion, I mean, somebody who this will, will settle on them. Um, and then, uh, hold a, hold an interest meeting, you know, make the, make the, make the need known to God's people. And that's where it's going to be important to have the leadership uh, behind you. And, and I would say just an initial goal, which is doable, is to have uh, one aid per service or time block. So, so for instance, if you have a grade school uh, Sunday school period, have one person there. And uh, and then if you have a kid's church time, have one person there. Now, just as, as a minimum. Now, obviously, you want to get more than that. And that definitely means that you're going to have to do some triage, you know. So we've had a time where, um, where we'll grab our one-to-one aid and say, "Hey, this is, you know, this is so and so, um, you know, you need to hang with them today." And all of a sudden, someone else will walk in. You go, "Okay, um, you know, so you two are going to hang with them." And then grabbing a teen and saying, "I'm going to introduce you to, you know, so and so." So you get a little bit of that, but at least having one person that you can, you know, automatically attach somebody. And just to start with that is, is a good starting point. Mm -hmm. So I would say find a champion, uh, find, have a goal, have an interest meeting with a goal of one person willing to be on call, uh, for each service block. And then finally just give some thought, uh, to a space. And so, you know, obviously it would be wonderful if you had a fully equipped, you know, beautiful sensory room with, you know, activities and calming events, you know, however, you may just you you just need a space to pull away because you know often these kids if they're you know overstimulated they need to pull away to a place and so to have that designated you know you could you could go to a place like uh, Fun and Function um, online and they have tons of equipment and it's all very expensive but at the same time there there are shortcuts like if you have beanbag chairs and a rocking chair you know, and a box of fidgets, you know, like squish balls and slinkies. Like that's a start, hmm. you know, just for sensory wise, uh, for, for these children to pull away. So, yeah, so that's, that's, uh, basically find a championship, uh, find, uh, you know, have an interest meeting looking for one person per slot and then find some sort of space that if somebody's having a hard time, they can pull away too.
1: Well, we'd like to take a couple minutes and focus on Sunday school generally speaking, Sunday school teachers aren't trained in the same way that school teachers are trained. So when a child with learning differences comes in, that can be potentially very daunting for the average Sunday school teacher. How can we as Sunday school teachers create an environment where every child is welcome and any of them can excel and learn truths from God's Word.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'd be the first to say I'm, I'm not uh, an expert on this, so it's mostly, um, so I'm not like an educator, uh, but but I have seen some uh, really top-notch teachers at work, um, especially with, with my own son. And so it seems like, at least for kids with you know, on the spectrum or with, you know, ADHD or different behavioral diagnoses, that they're going to respond well to, um, number one, just like set rules, like what, you know, what is expected. So I normally just ask my teachers to think up three different rules, you know, like rule number one, you know, raise your hand for permission to speak. Rule number two, uh, raise your hand for permission to leave your seat. And rule number three, make smart choices. And that means we have safe hands and a nice, quiet voice, you know, so kind of like review those with the kids every time. And, and, and those aren't magical rules. I'm just saying a set of rules that you, have, you set for them because a lot of these children really thrive on um, consistency. If you can remove uncertainty, so have a, a basic classroom schedule written out on a whiteboard or chalkboard uh, that helps ground, you know, take away some of the uncertainty um, and then, if possible, to incorporate uh, sensory breaks, and and this is good for all kids, not just um, you know kids with uh, special considerations. Uh, so that may mean you know for one part you you know you lecture, and then you have an object lesson or a game. You know, so they get up and they move. And at the same time, that, you know, kind of incorporates different learning styles. So obviously not all kids are, you know, sit and lecture type children, especially boys. Um, You know, so to give them a chance to get up and throw that variety uh, in there uh, is is definitely going to help a child with with, uh, behavioral needs.
2: One of the most difficult special needs situations that Sunday school teachers deal with is aggressive behavior, like biting, kicking, screaming. Understandably, this can cause concern for the safety of other children and the volunteer teachers. What should we do about these kind of situations?
3: yeah, those are those are tough. Um, so I, it's gonna it's gonna have a lot to obviously there there's different grades in that, so if if they are inflict inflicting wounds on other children, then then you're gonna quickly be in a situation where you know restraint may be required, and you know immediately having a parent. Uh, a parent conference, um, other types of behavior, and and, and again, it, it, it's going to vary whether or not it's a, a preschool is much easier to handle, you know, and say yeah, we have some time out here than say a child in in the grade school. So it's such a wide wide variety, but I would I would tend to say that if if we had like an extreme example. Uh, that we would need to suspend placement for a bit until we could, um, meet with the parent for some sort of intake. Mm. So Mm -hmm. if it's the first time that that has happened, then, um, then we'd want to be working with the parent to see like, okay, what, what precipitated this? Is this, is this common? Do you see this at home? Does this happen at school? Um, what, you know, is is there something that triggers this? And so really just working with the parent. So that kind of serves a couple of purposes. Uh, first of all, saying hey, we're we're willing to work through this. Uh, second of all, you know, seeking real information because hopefully the parent or grandparent knows this child best. Um, but it also may mean that that uh, we'll say, okay, so we're going to try this, but we at some point we may we're going to try to find an aid for for you know your child if if they're having trouble coping in this in this setting. Um, but it may mean that we, if if restraint, you know, is necessary, that the parent may have to be present at least initially until they can, you know, can level out. Yeah. So, so not a, not an easy answer, and and I've not seen, um, you know, extremes like that, uh, in our setting. So, uh, if somebody else has, I'm, I'm sure they've got some more insight on it.
1: You mentioned bringing the parents into this. I would agree that for a child to have the best and most successful experience in Sunday school they the parents and the teacher should be communicating together exactly when and how should we approach the parents
3: so first of all if, if you have AIDS um, especially if they're already in the field uh, they will have eyes for it and so they'll say did you notice um, if you are present personally you um, and, and obviously, if you have a child with a you know physical disability, um, then, then then that's fairly evident. And all you have to do is like you know how can we you know keep them involved and, and so forth. But if it's a if it's a behavioral diagnosis, uh, I guess one of the challenges that that we see is um, either um, parents are afraid they'll be rejected, or they're clueless. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's grandparents, and mm-hmm. so it'll be like a first time visitor, and you'll see it coming. And like, you know, you can just see like, okay, there may be something here and you greet them and you drop them off and you see behaviors immediately that, that you know, if you've been in this world, you, you're like, well, the hand flapping or whatever, um, <laughs> or just a look and you think like, okay, I'm gonna have to watch this. So if it's in a Sunday school class, um, I've noticed that teachers will kind of downplay it and the phrase will sound, we had a little bit of trouble today with... You know, and, and to me, that is like a, 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 flare, like a little bit of trouble means if this is not addressed, then, then I'm going to lose volunteers or, or kids are going to be disturbed or this child is going to have a really terrible time. So like, I, I hear I'm sensitive to my teachers saying we had a little trouble with, cause that may mean we've got something going on. So, um, if, if after speaking to the teacher, I realize like, okay, uh, we need we need to plan for this. That's when we would initiate some sort of conversation with a parent.
2: Through your years of ministry experience and being a special needs dad, have you observed disability become a strength and a blessing?
3: Yeah, I've I've seen this on a number of a number of places. I mean, so in my life personally, uh, if if God had not blessed us with this, then I would not have the compassion, you know, for people. Uh, I mean, it has a way of like bringing, it's like kind of a built-in dependence, (laughs) you know, like you were brought, you know, to the end of your strength and your knowledge um, on a pretty much a daily basis. But I've also seen like other parents, like we have one lady who, again, her children, she's raised their children. They're 18 and 21 now. And, uh, and she is ministering to other families now, you know, so she is ministering out of the abundance of her own experiences. And, and what we see with, with parents that have like walked this road, like they're unflappable.
2: Mm.
3: <laughs> they've seen everything, you know, they've, they've been hit, they've been bit, you know, they've, you know, they've seen it all. So like having a grade schooler that, that is struggling or exhibiting these behaviors, they, they're unflappable. So I, I have people who minister that way. Um, we have one, one, uh, lady in our church that, um, personally, you know, battled high, high anxiety and and, and OCD tendencies and, um, and, 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 and many other things. And so she, she's now one of my leaders and she was one of the people who was pivotal in helping us see the children's ministry through anxious eyes. So like, what is an anxious person seeing? What is an anxious parent seeing? What is an anxious child seeing? You know, this is not safe. Um, Our allergy policy is lacking and she helped bring um, that perspective, so that we became much, much more aware of how we can serve, um, serve families that are coming in. So th- the payoff for that is when you see, you know, a parent walk in and they say, "My child has severe allergies," and you can say, "Oh, hey, listen, <laughs> we've got this is a this is a peanut-free you know hall. There's no soy. There's no you know milk. Um, you know, we've got gluten-free snacks available. Uh, we clean on this way." Etc. And just to watch their faces, just relax. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, so she's brought that perspective to us and, and blessed many, many people through it.
1: You've given us a wellspring of ideas and encouragement today, Pastor Evan.
3: Totally. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Appreciate the opportunity.
0: Thanks for tuning in today to Broken Vessels. Hidden treasures. It is our hope and prayer that you will find the grace and goodness of God even in trials. We'd love to hear from you, and your feedback is important to us. You can reach out to Paul and Tabitha with comments, questions, or to share an episode with a friend in need through our website at bvhtministries.org.